0: Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories, along with photos of victims, suspects, locations of murders, and more. Amanda Nicole Eileen Campbell was born on May 7, 1987, and went by Nikki. At the age of four, Nikki lived with her family on Salisbury Drive in Fairfield, California. On December 27, 1991, she and her five-year-old brother, Matthew, went to play at a friend's house in the neighborhood. At around 4.30 p.m., Nikki left on her bicycle to go to another friend's house around the corner. When their mother, Anne, came home from work and inquired about Nikki, Matthew said she was playing at her friend's house. When 7 p.m. rolled around and Nikki was still not home, her family went out to look for her. A few blocks away, they found her bicycle and a pair of child-sized blue socks on the road nearby. At that point, the police were notified and a massive search was underway. Dogs tracked Nikki's scent from Larchmont Drive, which intersects with the street she lives on to Oliver Road, to the drive through at a nearby McDonald's restaurant on Travis Boulevard, then east on Travis Boulevard to the westbound Interstate 80 on-ramp. After that, the dogs lost her scent. Authorities believe she was pulled into a vehicle, probably at the intersection of Larchmont Drive and Salisbury Drive, close to where she was last seen. A few days later, a witness reported seeing a child matching Nikki's description in a passing car in eastern Fairfield. The child appeared to be screaming for help, but when the police searched the area where the sighting occurred, they found no trace of her or the car. Nikki was the fourth girl to vanish in the San Francisco Bay Area since 1988. On June 3, 1988, seven-year-old Amber Swartz-Garcia vanished while playing in her front yard in Pinole, California. Five months later, on November 19, 1988, nine-year-old Michaela Garrett was abducted from a Hayward Market. Two months after that, on January 30, 1989, 13-year-old Eileen Michaloff vanished while walking home from school in Dublin. An initial person of interest was a man named Timothy Binder, who was known to approach the mothers of missing girls from the East Bay Area and offer his assistance. On top of that, he was often seen visiting the grave of five-year-old Angela Begay, who was abducted from her apartment complex in Antioch, California, in 1983 and was later found sexually assaulted and murdered. He allegedly visited Angela's grave up to 90 times per year. A week after Nikki's disappearance, authorities found him climbing up from a ravine near her home. In early 1991, several months before Nikki's disappearance, Binder sent strange letters to a 12-year-old girl who lived just a few blocks from Nikki. He also sent a Christmas card to an FBI profiler which showed a girl holding up four fingers, the age of Nikki when she disappeared. In December 1992, a year after Nikki's disappearance, the Fairfield Police Department named Bindner their prime suspect and searched his home. During the search, he reportedly said nothing but was seen violently shaking. The police found personal writings, logbooks on visits to cemeteries, and dog tags with the names of missing girls on them. However, nothing concrete was found that could connect him to any of the girls' disappearances. Binder ended up suing the town of Fairfield for defamation and won a $90,000 settlement in the late 90s. Coincidentally, Binder was later called for jury duty in a murder case but ended up being accused of misrepresenting himself to get on the jury. In November 2000, authorities received a tip that Nikki may have been lured to a house a block from where she lived on Salisbury Drive and murdered on the day of her disappearance. In January 2001, authorities brought in cadaver dogs to search the house's crawlspace where the tipster said Nikki was buried. A woman who owned the house at the time of Nikki's disappearance said her young nephews had been living with her and had played with Nikki there the day before she vanished. She said nothing could have happened to Nikki there because she was home all day. In the end, no evidence was found to show she was buried there. Bindert was eventually ruled out in Michaela's case because David Mish was charged with her kidnapping and murder in 2020. Mish is now a suspected serial killer and is currently awaiting trial in Michaela's case and in the 1986 double murder of two women. Another potential suspect was Curtis Dean Anderson, who had been convicted for the 2000 kidnapping and sexual assault of a young California girl. Investigators searched Anderson's mother's residence in June 2001 for evidence linking him to other missing girls' cases, but nothing was found. Before he died in prison in 2007, he confessed to killing Amber Schwartz Garcia. While they couldn't find any evidence to refute his claims, they were still not able to locate Amber's remains and ended their 18-month-long investigation. As of today many remain skeptical of anderson's claims this next suspect is someone you might remember from my five solved true crime mysteries video that was released on august 1st 2023 his name is david zanstra an 83 year old former pastor arrested for the murder of eight-year-old gretchen harrington in philadelphia Zanstra was the pastor at the Fairfield Christian Reformed Church when Nikki vanished and lived just a few minutes away from her home. On July 17, 2023, he confessed to Gretchen's abduction and murder. Zanstra has certainly made his way to the top of the suspect list, and investigators are hoping if he was involved, he might confess just like he did in Gretchen's case. However, as of 2023, Nikki has never been found, and this case remains unsolved. In 1977, Louis Zaharias met Susan Elizabeth Gamel Zaharias, and in 1981, they married. They lived in Santa Ana, California, and had two children, Christopher and Lisa May. Sadly, their marriage began to sour after two of Susan's friends went to Lewis and told him that she was allegedly using drugs and was blowing through their finances to pay for it. She would even take Christopher and Lisa with her and then leave them in the car alone while she got out to buy the drugs. Then she would do the drugs in front of the children. Eventually, she spent their entire savings and wrote about $6,000 in bad checks, after that, she began stealing money from Lewis's mother. One day in mid-November 1987, Lewis and his mother decided to confront Susan about the unpaid bills and her drug and alcohol abuse. However, she didn't want any part of the conversation, so she went upstairs and refused to talk to them. A few days later, on the morning of November 20, 1987, the couple had a horrible argument, which led to Susan attacking Lewis. He then decided to leave the house to cool off. Susan then turned her anger toward Lewis's mother, whom she beat up and pushed down the stairs. After the altercation, she took the kids and left. By the time Lewis arrived back home, they were already gone. The next day, Susan's aunt, Shirley Can, along with her grandmother, Louise Hettinger, took Susan and the children to an airport and sent them to Susan's hometown of Watomka, Oklahoma, without Lewis's knowledge. Susan and the kids were then spotted in Oklahoma City before they left and headed for Detroit, Michigan, where they stayed with relatives. Since then, there have been confirmed sightings of them in Pennsylvania, Washington, New Jersey, and Michigan. Lewis believes that the children have no idea that they are considered missing. On February 17, 1988, the state of California issued a felony and extradition warrant against Susan for crimes against persons. She also has a warrant out for her arrest for custodial interference. Lewis said that after the abduction, Susan's family began accusing him of abuse. However, after an intense investigation by the police, children's groups, and a private investigator, the accusations were deemed false. Lewis then sued several of Susan's relatives, claiming they gave her money and helped her escape. The lawsuits were later settled out of court. He also tried to get prosecutors to charge her relatives for helping her, but was unsuccessful. Her parents claim they have not seen her since she disappeared, and they, along with other relatives, deny helping her. Lewis has since moved to Thousand Oaks, California, and is now remarried. However, he continues to seek information on his missing children and has spent thousands of dollars searching for them. He also sold most of his belongings, including his furniture and car, to help pay for attorneys and private investigators. In January 2016, Susan's mother, Norma, died, and a witness claimed to have seen a woman who resembled Susan at the funeral. Lewis believes that Susan's family is still in contact with her and knows where she is. As of 2023, Christopher would be 39 years old and Lisa would be 37. This is currently the oldest active unsolved criminal parental kidnapping in the United States. It's thought that Susan could be using the last name Nozale, Plus, she has a small scar on her upper lip and keloid scarring on her abdomen.
1: 30 years later, I am so desperate to see them. I need them so badly in my life. I want to share with my children just some of the things that I tried to save for them. I have your favorite blankie, Christopher, and Lisa May, I have your dolls. I was able to save your grandma Mae's furniture for your dowry, Lisa. I don't know if you're married, but if you are, I kept it for you. And Christopher, I have some things for you. The car that you used to drive around in, the one I promised you I had to sell, but son, I will try to make it up to you. I just had to spend everything to find you. I love you so much. My heart is empty without you. I need to know that you'll learn about your heritage and all your relatives and the people that have offered their time to try and give you just a little bit of your true life. Because whatever you're living now, no matter what it is, it's not the truth. And you have right to know the truth. You're my children, and I'm your dad, and I always will be to the last breath in my body.
0: Daphne Viola Webb was born on October 10, 2011, and lived in Oakland, California. At 21 months old, Daphne lived with her father, John Webb, who went by Anthony, and grandmother in the 800 block of Green Ridge Drive off Keller Avenue. On July 10, 2013, at about 11 a.m., Anthony went into Ghazali's Supermarket in the 1400 block of 79th Avenue in Oakland to grab a drink. When he went inside, he left 21-month-old Daphne in the SUV with her 87-year-old grandmother who suffers from dementia. When he returned to his black 2002 Ford Expedition, Daphne was gone. He then called the police to report the kidnapping. He said when he approached the vehicle, the back door was open, the car seat was pulled over, and his mom's purse was missing along with Daphne. A witness reported seeing a Hispanic female in her 30s walking away from the area carrying a girl that matched Daphne's description. However, no one ever saw the actual abduction. An extensive search of the area turned up no sign of the child or the suspect. Police even used tracker dogs and a boat equipped with an underwater robot to search the shoreline, but still nothing. At the time of Daphne's disappearance, her mother, Kiana, was living at a treatment facility after she was arrested for driving her car while under the influence with Daphne in the back seat. She was questioned and quickly ruled out as a suspect. Later that day, Anthony was arrested and charged with felony child endangerment for leaving Daphne in the SUV with his disabled mother. However, the DA declined to press charges, and he was released after two days in custody. Ten months later, in May 2014, Anthony took his own life by overdosing on prescription medication at the home he shared with his mother. Sadly, at 8 p.m. on the day of his death, his adult daughter discovered his body. There was never a note found to explain why he did it. Was he upset about Daphne's kidnapping, or was the story a lie and the guilt was too much for him to bear? The reason I say that is because Daphne's great-aunt, Rosalind Robinson, said his story on the day of the alleged kidnapping was kind of far-fetched. Even the police were skeptical of his story and listed him as a person of interest in his daughter's disappearance. Unfortunately, we may never know, and as of 2023, Daphne has never been found, and this case remains unsolved. Devin Griffith was born to Lee Griffith and grew up in Chula Vista, California, a small suburb of San Diego. Lee was a single father who had been raising Devin since he was four years old, and the two had a great relationship. Devin was described as a good kid who liked to stay active and was known for being goofy. He was well-liked and loved to help others. On January 31, 2020, at about 10.30 p.m., 15-year-old Devin went to a friend's birthday party in the 900 block of Maria Way. After being there for only a short time, someone sent out an invite to the party through Snapchat along with the address. Strangers then began to show up, and the party quickly got out of hand, with over a hundred people now in attendance. The invite even made its way to Facebook, where it was labeled Snapchat Party. All of a sudden, things took a turn for the worse when two male students got into a fight over one of them dancing with a girl at the party. The altercation eventually ended up on the street in front of the house and went from the two boys fighting to a massive brawl among multiple partygoers. Devin was not originally involved in the fight, but upon seeing his friend being ganged up on by several young men, he quickly stepped in to help. Unfortunately, one of those men had a knife and stabbed Devin in the chest three times. He then fell to the ground, causing the group of suspects, with as many as 15 people, to flee the scene in at least two unknown cars. When the police arrived, they found Devin bleeding and unconscious on the ground. He was rushed to the hospital, where he sadly died two weeks later on February 16, 2020. Investigators questioned the remaining attendees at the party, but the suspects who fled the scene have never been identified. They also feel like there's a high probability that someone at the party captured the fight on their cell phone but is either too scared to turn it over to the police or is protecting the suspects. Devin's friends raised money for a memorial bench at a Lemon Grove Park where he loved riding his scooter. Sadly, as of 2023, no one has ever been arrested for Devin's murder and this case remains unsolved. Paige Rochelle Lawrence was born on January 16, 1962. At the age of 24, Paige was living in Sacramento, California. On February 12, 1986, Paige's family saw her leave the home, but after that, she was never seen again. Paige had been working as a prostitute under the aliases Peaches and Angelia Christine Bass. Around the time of her disappearance, a serial killer by the name of Morris Solomon, Jr., was terrorizing the Sacramento area. Solomon had murdered multiple women, including 22-year-old Yolanda Johnson, 25-year-old Angela Polidore, 18-year-old Maria Apodaca, 26-year-old Sherry Washington, 24-year-old Linda Vitella, 17-year-old Sheila Jaycox, and 29-year-old Sharon Massey. All seven women were either addicted to drugs or sex workers who were murdered in 1986 and 1987. When the victims were found, they were nude, bound, and wrapped in a sheet. When he murdered Yolanda, he came up with a plan that would ultimately get him caught. For some reason, he decided he would call the police and report that he found her body. He most likely did this so investigators would not consider him a suspect. As for his other victims, he buried those in the backyards of places he lived. After reporting Yolanda's body, Solomon became a suspect, and investigators obtained his fingerprints and a blood sample. Solomon then gave multiple inconsistent statements to the police and failed to properly identify himself. A month later, Angela Polidor's remains were found, and once again, Solomon lied to the police. His excuse was that he was nervous about an outstanding misdemeanor warrant that he had. In 1987, the police asked if they could search the abandoned car lot where he lived, and he agreed. During that search, investigators noticed a strange depression in the soil, so they borrowed a shovel and discovered Sherry Washington's body. A couple of days later, the bodies of Linda Vitella and Sheila Jaycox were also found. He was then arrested and charged for their murders. Since Paige was a sex worker in the area around this time, investigators believe Solomon might be responsible for her death as well. After his arrest, five of his victims who survived came forward and described being sexually assaulted by him. He was ultimately convicted in the sexual assault cases, and in July 1992, he was convicted for the murders and sentenced to death. Sadly, Paige has never been found, and this case remains unsolved. Thanks for joining me today on Southern Girl Crime Stories. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories, along with photos of victims, suspects, location of murders, and more. As always, your support is very much appreciated, and I look forward to seeing y'all next time.